Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, I watched a great movie for the second time this week. I saw it a few months ago when it came out and I decided to watch it again because I wanted to have the author and the star of this movie on the program. And the movie, if you haven't seen it, you need to see it, is called The Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. This movie came out in November and it so far has been streamed online in 130 countries. It had several nights in theaters around the nation and even over in the UK. It was written by my friend Max McLean. You know I've had Max on the program before, but Max is has been known for many years because he's traveled the country doing one-man plays. Uh, the, the play that he's done probably the most is called The Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. That has now turned into a major motion picture. And friends, listen to me. This is not your Christian hokey film. This is a professional film with world-class actors and a world-class script that gives you the background of how the most famous and probably most influential apologist of the last century became a Christian. It is well worth seeing. It's always great to have my friend, the great Max McLean on. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Max, how are you? I'm wonderful, Frank. Good to see you. Max, I'm telling you, this you've, you've outdone yourself on this movie. I mean, I've seen your play several times live. In fact, you came to Ash, uh, Asheville a couple of years ago and you did the play live and we put a whole sort of uh, a fundraiser event around it. We had some of our, our biggest donors at Cross Examine come to the event, they loved it. Now this has turned into a movie. How did this happen, Max? Well, the pandemic had quite a bit to do with it. You know, uh, on uh, March 15th, I think 2020, we did our last show. We had f uh, three shows on the road one in New York, uh, Screwtape Letters was touring, uh, The Great Divorce was touring, uh, Most Reluctant Car Convert was doing colleges and universities, and we had a, a, a modern adaptation of Paradise Lost in New York. I mean, that's our mission, Fellowship for Performing Arts. We produce theater from a Christian worldview meant to engage a diverse audience. Uh, then we shut down, and you know, at first, it was we thought we heard. Do you remember the, the the motto in those days? Fifteen days to flatten the mm -hmm, curve. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought, what am I going to do for the next two weeks? <laughs> um, and, you know, and and two weeks became two months, and now almost two years. Uh, but in the interim, uh, we had been talking about doing a movie of the film, but we saw it as a twenty three twenty four project. But with the pandemic shutting everything down, uh, uh, we were working with British filmmaker Norman Stone, uh, Emmy Award winning uh, filmmaker, who did the original Shadowlands. He and I have been friends for a while, and we talked about making this movie, and he said, you know, uh, British filmmaking is going to open up in August under very strict guidelines. Uh, 
and if you're willing to move quickly, I can get a terrific crew and terrific cast, but we have to act now because nobody's worked since March. Mm. And so I asked him to confirm that. I asked him to confirm the locations that we needed. I went to the board and got the funding to put the film in the can. You know, we'd worry about post-production. We'd worry about marketing later. And on August 31st, I boarded a plane as big as Air Force One with fewer people on it and uh, went to, uh, arrived at Heathrow, went to Oxford quarantine for two weeks and then uh, began filmmaking in the middle of September, finished by the middle of October. And a year later, on November 2nd, 2021, we opened in 469 theaters in the United States. We, the, the day we opened on November 2nd, we were the number two movie in the country. Mm. Uh, we, we, uh, we outperformed James Bond. Uh, we couldn't quite knock out Dune, uh, primarily because they were in about 3,000 screens. We were only on 469. Uh, but we had the highest per screen average uh, in the country uh, that day. And then the, the theaters said, wow, this is something because it was only scheduled for one day. And so they kept it running they extended it uh, four times. It finally closed on December 2nd. Uh, and I think was the, uh, the number two or three film of what they call event cinema uh, in, the, in the last uh, year. So we were very proud of how people responded to it because it's about Lewis. And P Lewis has got a huge following. And we were very true to him. We used his words. The, the, the film was based on his memoirs, Surprised by Joy. And it tells the story of how he, he went from being a vigorous debunker of Christianity on the level of Christopher Hitchens because he had those sort of rhetorical gifts uh, to becoming, as you just said, the most influential Christian of the past hundred years. Well, the movie opens, Max, with a very... I think um, kind of stunning dialogue and you're the narrator of the movie. You wrote most of this based as you say on his words. And as I'm listening and watching you try and tear down the Christian faith as C.S. Lewis walking through, where were you? We were in some kind of museum when you're doing this. Uh, yeah, we were at the Oxford Natural History Museum, right. And yeah. this uh, scene- the whole, the whole film was- Go ahead. The whole film was no it's fine i was gonna say no, go ahead oh, just we all over oxford yeah the scene depicts so well how much of a skeptic lewis was before he became a christian how much of a skeptic was he what why was he so anti-christian at this time do you think right right well the the, the very first scene is very strong Mm -hmm. And and if you consider a purely existential experience of of what do you see, it uh, uh, is as uh, look at the universe around mostly empty space, completely dark, unimaginably cold. That's the experience that we live in. Uh, we uh, Earth existed uh, for millions of years without life, and may exist millions more. Uh, when life uh, ceases to exist, and then what is life? You know, most most forms of life uh, uh, is really about overcoming pain. Mm. Born in pain, live by inflicting pain, mostly die in pain. So these these are the sort of things that he has uh, existentially uh, experienced uh, on a 
you know, he came to the conclusion that no, I, uh, either there's no God behind the universe, a God who's indifferent to good and evil, or worse, an evil God. Uh, and he, he said, no, he did not believe God existed, but he was angry at God for not existing <laughs> because he wanted to know why should creatures have, why should creatures, why should you and I have the burden of existing without our consent? Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't ask for this. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then he goes on to his own personal issues. Like I lost my mother to cancer. I had a terrible relation with my father. Uh, I was in the trenches during the great war. He calls the hell where youth and laughter go only to see horribly smashed men still moving about like crushed beetles. Uh, the mortar shell that wounded him, he was wounded in the war, killed the man next to him. Uh, that, you know, he has, he said, when he returned to Oxford in 1919, he went to war in 1918 on 19th birthday, came back, he was in, uh, in, in combat for, for five months, wounded and sent home. When he got back to Oxford in 1919, he, uh, they read the minutes to his college's last meeting. It's the college's last meeting that he went to, University College, uh, had their last meeting in 1914. They read the names, the minutes, and he said, nothing made me realize more thoroughly the absolute waste of those years. Someone asked him, were you much frightened in France? Were you much frightened in the trenches? He said, all the time. But I never sank so low as to pray. I never sank so low as to pray, said the great C.S. Lewis before he was a Christian. What happened then? We're going to learn from the great Max McLean and his new movie, The Most Reluctant Convert, you're going to want to see. We'll tell you how to see it here in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, back in two minutes. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're not going to hear this on NPR. We're talking about the great C.S. Lewis through the mind of my friend Max McLean, who has put out a brilliant new movie called Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. It came out in November, but it is now online, and you can see it. You can also bring a church group in, a small group, a Bible study to see it, uh, and we'll tell you how to do that a little bit later. Uh, but right now, Max, we were talking just before the break about Lewis being such an anti-Christian that he wouldn't sink so low as to pray even when he was in a foxhole. Now, then the movie goes on to really talk about his childhood and there's a scene in the pub, Max, when you're sitting in the pub talking about how you're, as C.S. Lewis, you're talking about how your mother got cancer, and then this is played out yeah. in a scene behind you. And I remember you saying in this movie as C.S. Lewis that you actually prayed that your mother would be healed, but then you wanted him to go away after yeah. he did his job. Can you unpack that further? What was that all about? Well, you know, he grew up in a in a church-going family. He said uh, uh, religious experiences did not occur in his family. You know, he was taught the usual things, made to say his prayers in due time. Uh, was uh, went to church. He he said I didn't feel much interest in it. Don't remember feeling much interest in it. Uh, but uh, he said childhood was happy. 
you know, his mother was the, the anchor of, of the family's life. Uh, uh, she was a really very kind and, and witty person. Father was super emotional and unpredictable. Um, but when, uh, when he died, he said that uh, when she died, uh, the father sort of fell apart and, uh, and became wildly unpredictable. And, and so Lewis said he was losing his sons as well as his wife. Uh, but he says, but he remembered, you know, what uh, he said his first religion, he said some people call it his first religious experience. He said it wasn't, but uh, I remembered what I had been taught that prayers offered in faith would be granted, right? That's what he was taught. So he immediately put that into practice and prayed that uh, uh, she would recover from her cancer. When she died, uh, he shifted ground and worked himself into belief that there was to be a miracle. He said he approached God, not as savior or as judge, but as magician. Uh, he, uh, he simply wanted to, the, to restore the status quo, restore his, his mom back to the, the place where she was always there for him. Uh, but he said, you know, he, he wanted, uh, <clears throat> but he, t he saw her more as a magician. Uh, and when he had done what was required of him, you know, once he saved my mom's life, uh, or saved you and I from drowning or, you know, on the edge of a cliff, once we, he's done his job, we just want him to simply go away. <laughs> you know, we, we're back to the status quo. You well, know, things are I, good. I you love know, the word you I, keep, you know. I love, the, I love the word you keep using in the movie from Lewis, who apparently used the word quite a bit. And you said, you didn't, as C.S. Lewis, you didn't want God to become a nuisance. What, what did he mean by become a yeah. nuisance? Well, it's very interesting because I think he saw a personal God as a nuisance. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, he called God the great interferer. Mm. You know, he said uh, later in the film, um, uh, what he saw in Christia, uh, in the Christian worldview was uh, no door marked exit. Mm. At the center of it was a transcendental interferer. No treaty with reality could ever be made with him. And all I ever wanted was some small area to say to all other beings, no admittance. The price to pay for this great attraction was to look out on a meaningless dance of atoms and to sing hymns to the joys of atheism. It was a price I loyally paid. Hmm. <laughs> I find many atheists today do that, Max. I always ask people who are not Christians, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And I just had somebody the other day say, no, doesn't matter if it's true. I don't yeah. want God. I don't want that kind of judge in my life, basically. That judge exactly. would be a nuisance. Yeah. That, he's, a, he's a transcendental interferer. That's right. There's no door marked exit. Uh -huh. <laughs> so Lewis was very, very honest, uh, even in his unbelief. Yeah. He did not want there to be a God because he essentially wanted to be God over his own life like most of us do anyway. And so this is brought out beautifully right. Right. in the movie. And again, ladies and gentlemen, the movie is called Most Reluctant Convert. And if you want to see this movie, you just need to go to cslewismovie.com. That's cslewismovie.com. There is a charge to see it. And the reason for that is, is because 
It took a lot of money to make this movie. And also, money that is given to watch this movie will partially go to uh, Max's group, uh, which is the Fellowship for Performing Arts. And that is a 501c3, ladies and gentlemen, that goes around the country. In addition to making movies like this, they go around the country and they're reaching diverse audiences. So this... These funds are going to go to an evangelistic purpose, and so this is a good thing. In addition to yourself being entertained, in addition to yourself learning something about Lewis and learning some about Lewis's great arguments to become a Christian, you're also going to fund the the gospel going forward. So take a look at cslewismovie.com. If your church wants to have a private screening, it can. If you want to just watch it personally, you can. If you want to have a small group Bible study around it, you can. Check it out there. It is very well written, very well acted. In fact, uh, Max, there are three different C.S. Lewis's in this movie. You're the consistent C.S. Lewis. You're the narrator, you know, as an older man. But who are the other C.S. Lewis's in the movie, and what do they what do they do? Right. The, the structure of the film. It's a little bit like uh, uh, Christmas Carol, where where uh, Lewis actually lives in his memories. Mm-hmm. So he's telling a story. He's an older man looking back on his younger self. So we have a boy, Lewis, wonderfully played by Eddie Ray Martin. Uh, and he plays him until about 6.15 or so. And then uh, then we have young man, Lewis, the, the scholar, uh, the student, uh, played by Nicholas Ralph. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nicholas Ralph is a star of, of uh, the big hit, All Creatures Great and Small. He plays James Harriet. Uh, we also have actors that play Tolkien, uh, Owen Barfield, Lewis's mom and dad, Warney uh, as a boy, uh, the, Lewis's great teacher, uh, Kirkpatrick. There's like, uh, this, there was, the film is, uh, was made in 18 different locations in, around in, uh, in and around Oxford, beautifully shot. It is. Uh, yeah. There's 15 actors, 190 extras, 270 costumes. Uh, to really fill out this wonderful story. Well, it's beautifully done. Uh, The cinematography is great. The script is great. You know, one thing I didn't know about Lewis until I watched the movie, Max, was his two-year period where he was tutored by a man of, by you said his name was Kirkpatrick. Tell us a little bit about that, because um, my wife and I are watching this going, I wish I would have been tutored by a guy like this. What, what, how was Lewis tutored? Who was this guy? What did they study? Yes, yes. Well, uh, Lewis's education was, was not going well, uh, nor was his brother's. And, uh, and, and his father, uh, Lewis's father, was tutored by this Kirkpatrick uh, in Ireland. Uh, and then Kirkpatrick had retired, but he would take one or two uh, students uh, in his home. And he took, he took Warney, and he said that uh, uh, this tutor had so rebuilt the ruins of Warney's education, he passed into Sandhurst and mm. received a prize cadetship. And so Lewis said to his father, might it not be good to send me to Surrey? And, uh, and he did. Uh, and Lu- uh, Lewis was just kind of beaten into shape because this guy pulled no punches. He took no prisoners. Uh, but uh, they studied Latin and Greek, Homer first, uh, 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 Cicero, Demosthenes, Herodotus, Catullus, Aeschylus, all in their native la- in the native Greek language. Uh, 
uh, he uh, in the evening they mastered French, Italian, and German. Uh, Voltaire, Faust, the Inferno in the native language, uh, and that's where Lewis. You know, Lewis was always gifted, but he was not. Uh, you know, he wasn't structured, and Kirkpatrick gave him those dialogue, dialectical gifts that he used the rest of his life. So, uh, and even though his, his tutor, uh, Lewis, described him as a Presbyterian atheist. <laughs> On right. Sundays, he gardened in nicer clothes, I think, as a kind <laughs> of a, uh, a remembrance to things past. Uh, but uh, we can thank Kirkpatrick for uh, Lewis's really sharp dialectic. You know, it amazes me that uh, they learned all these languages and then read the works. I mean, I hardly yeah. know English. For me to learn Greek and uh, French and German and then Latin. read these works in their native languages would take me way more than two years. But Lewis said, as you said in the yeah. movie, that he found this to be some of the probably the best two years of his life. Just every day, he so, called it. Uh, he called it. Uh, uh, it was red. He said, most boys would have cowered. I love the treatment. It was red beef and strong beer. And after a few knockdowns, he began to put on some intellectual muscle and became a bit of a sparring partner to Kirk. Uh, and he said, oh, if I could please myself, I'd always live as I lived there. You know, and he, and he spells out his whole day. And he just said it was just glorious. Uh, but that's what got him into Oxford. And, uh -huh. and, and actually, at the end of the period, uh, Kirk wrote... Uh, Lewis's father and said, you may make a writer or a scholar of him, but you'll make nothing else because he was good for nothing else. And Lewis said, you know, uh, there was no position in the world that I could earn a living save that of a university dawn. I staked everything on a game in which few one hundreds lost. Wow. That, in fact, watching that scene with Kirkpatrick and Lewis, it struck me that we don't do the dialectic anymore, the, the Socratic method. You know, Lewis would say something. In fact, as soon as he gets off the train and meets Kirkpatrick, Lewis says something, and Kirkpatrick says to him something like, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Or why do you think that's true? Right? <laughs> and so immediately he's challenging <laughs> his student, and Lewis is caught flat-footed going, gee, I, gee, I guess I better bone up. I better, I better not just make casual conversation, or this guy's going to interrogate me. Right? <laughs> You're listening to I Don't Have Enough exactly. Faith to Be an Atheist. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> yes, with me, Frank Turk, and my guest is the great Max McLean. His brand-new movie is called Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. You're going to want to hear more that we're going to have with Max, so don't go anywhere. Uh, we are on the American Family Radio Network, and the podcast is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Back in two minutes. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. I want to mention we've got a brand new course coming out called Jesus Versus the Culture. Who do you trust? you trust Jesus or do you trust the culture? There are so many topics we cover in this 23-hour video course. There's a lot going on. We cover creation evolution or intelligent design evolution. We cover the purpose of life. We cover politics. We cover critical race theory, progressive Christianity, socialism, capitalism, so many other of the issues that are consuming our country right now. If you want to be a part of this online course, 
Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. I'll be your instructor. It's the longest, most robust, detailed course we've ever done. Uh, so check it out. It starts in March. Now, my guest today is the great Max McLean. And some of you are probably listening to Max going, he sure sounds familiar. Uh, I, I don't think I've seen any of his movies or I've seen his plays. Well, how do I know his voice? Max, why do most people know your voice? Where are you? Tell people what yeah, you've done with regard I've to the recorded, Bible. Yeah, absolutely. I've recorded the Bible uh, in multiple translations. Uh, the Listener's Bible in the NIV, the King James. I've also done the ESV. As you can get hear those on Bible Gateway, you can also hear it on the on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, like you said, most people know my voice more than they know any uh, my theatrical work or my film work. Uh, but and I'm thrilled by that. Uh, the first time I recorded the Bible was in the mid '90s, and uh, and I I've gone through it five different. I've recorded it five different times. That's amazing. So at least we know Max has read through yeah, the Bible probably, five that, different times. Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing. Anyway, the n brand new movie that we're talking about is called Most Reluctant Convert, the untold story of C.S. Lewis. And uh, Max, at one point in this movie, it seems to me the first chink in the armor of C.S. Lewis's atheism was when his atheist friend actually became a theist because I think his name was mm -hmm. Barfield, right? He recognized that yeah, Owen Barfield. Yeah, that Owen Barfield, who was an atheist, suddenly recognizes that materialism makes reason impossible. Can you explain why? Yeah, they they had something. They were very close, and uh, Lewis described uh, uh, Barfield as a very dear friend who satisfied his uh, his hunger for rational for argument and rational debate. They argued all the time, but it was sport. They loved it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they would pick a subject and go at it. Uh, but uh, one day he came back and said he was a theist, not a Christian, but a theist, um, and uh, and that shocked Lewis. Uh, because he said, I thought Barfield was safe. He, he grew up with a, such a free-thinking family, he'd barely even heard of Christianity in, in his world. Uh, and, you know, he would bring up God's spirit afterlife in conversation. And, and Lewis thought all that was medieval and asked him to stop, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not ask him. He said, you know, they argued uh, almost to blows. Uh, but... Uh, they had something what they called a great war, uh, a philosophic disputation that lasted for years. That would have been, Lewis would have been in his early 20s. Mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, uh, he, he was a, he said he'd been defending materialism for years at that point. He thought uh, there was no proof for any religion and that Christianity was not even the best. Religion was invented to explain things that terrified primitive man, you know, thunder, pestilence, snakes. Uh, and uh, he said that uh, great men such as Heracles and Odin were thought to be gods after their death. Hence, after the death of a Hebrew philosopher, Yeshua, whose name we have corrupted into Jesus, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, died and a cult came up and and just became another mythology like so many others. Uh, and that's, that's all Christianity is, uh, uh, a myth that, was, that cropped up like other myths prop, uh, cropped up. 
But uh, Barfield asked him very pointed questions. The, the two key questions he asked Lewis were, do you believe logic and reason brings forth indisputable truth? And he says, are your moral and aesthetic judgments valid, meaningful? And both questions, Lewis answered, yes. Reason and logic bring forth indisputable truth. And my moral and aesthetic uh, values are meaningful. They, they really matter. They're, they're significant. And he says, if that's so, this is Barfield said, he said, then your materialism must be abandoned. There's a, he said, there's a hopeless discord between what our minds, cl- what we claim our minds to be and what they really must be if materialism is true. We claim our minds to be reason, perceiving universal intellectual principles, moral laws, possessing free will. But if materialism is true, our minds are nothing more than atoms colliding in skulls. And Lewis responded, he says, you know, we must accept reality as it is revealed to us by our senses. And the finding of science has concluded that human reason is merely cognitive maps resulting from natural selection with random mutations over millions of years to confer on humans a reproductive advantage over other species. Lewis said, I had to say something, right? (laughs) Uh, Because he'd been defending materialism for years. Barfield's answer to that was, if my clearest reasoning, my clearest reasoning tells me that my mind is nothing more than the accidental result of atoms colliding in skulls, there must be some mistake. How could I trust my mind when it tells me that my most profound thought is merely a mental pattern resulting from heredity and physics. Mm. And that kind of rocked Lewis's world. He said it was astonishing to him that that thought had never, he had mm-hmm. never come up, you know, he'd never really uh, embraced that thought in terms of, of what it actually means. He said, I, you know, he could no more, uh, he could no more fix that, you know, in his mind than, you know, get his mind around that than to scratch his ear with his big toe. I just, you know, it just was a physical impossibility to think that thought. And, uh, and so what that did, he said, I didn't, I didn't attribute, he said that, uh, that uh, he, he came to the conclusion there had to be some kind of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, the, the question is mind or matter, right? Those right. are the two options you mm-hmm. have. It all begins with the idiocy of the universe or it begins, you know, is there something further up, further in? That's the two options that we look at. And, and uh, uh, but Lewis didn't want to attribute that to God. Mm. He did not, you know, he, he, he attributed to the universe itself. In, in other words, he gave this kind of intelligence to the universe. So he, he became a bit of a, he became a pantheist. Mm, mm, mm. And that was his road. He, he went from materialism to what he called idealism to pantheism, and that was the steps toward theism. And I would say in that, but he said that that this was a religious experience for him. But he also said, and this goes back to your earlier question, he said, this is a religion that costs nothing. Mm. It won't do anything. It won't lead to dark places where men scream they're being dragged into hell. It was up there. It would never come here and make a nuisance of itself. 
Never and that's why he liked it. That was it, yeah. yes. That's when you can have spirituality without moral accountability. If you have a kind of pantheistic God, that everything is spirit or everything's God and there's no moral accountability at all. Now, Lewis, as you know, later actually wrote about this in Mere Christianity and other books. In fact, one quote says this, and I just think this is brilliant the way Lewis puts this. He says, suppose there was no intelligence behind the universe. In that case, nobody designed my brain for the purpose of thinking. Thought is merely the byproduct of some atoms within my skull. But if so, how can I trust my own thinking to be true? But if I can't trust my own thinking, of course, I can't trust the arguments leading to atheism and therefore have no reason to be an atheist or anything else. Unless I believe in God, I can't believe in thought, so I can never use thought to disbelieve in God. I mean, Lewis, you can't say that any better than he just said it. He is basically pointing out that, look, if we can think, then there's some sort of spiritual reality out there best explained by God. But if we're just molecules bumping into one another, why should we, why should we think anything we think, including the thought that atheism is true? This, this really rocked him. Did, where it's did it also, lead him? It's, it's, actually, it's actually a reframing of, of Paul's argument in Romans 1 mm-hmm. and, and David's argument in, in Psalm 19. Right, you know, right. That's uh, uh, it's very you know it's it's central to the Christian faith that thought, uh, you know, we uh, thoughts reliable. We we not, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thought thought is reliable, and if thought is reliable, if 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 thought is reliable, that's an effect that we need a cause to explain. Friends, when, when we're trying to discover who God is, we ought to just tell people, when someone asks you, why does God exist? Or how do you know God exists? You say, I know God by his effects. If there's a creation, that's the effect. I'm reasoning back to a cause, a creator. If design is an effect, and it is, I'm reasoning back to a cause, a designer. If there's a moral law written on our hearts, that's the effect. I'm reasoning back to a cause, a moral law giver. If I have the ability to reason and think, and we all do, then I'm reasoning back to a cause, a mind. So we're reasoning from effect back to cause, and this is what Lewis did so well. He understood that there were certain effects that could only be explained by a mind, by intelligence. But this wasn't the end for him, though, Max. He didn't just become a theist. How did he become a Christian after this? Didn't Tolkien have something to do with this? Yes, and uh, the, uh, well, there was a couple of things. The, the There was a step in between where the theism that he he started with as the absolute sort of a god of the philosophers type, mm-hmm. which you know that god wouldn't do anything. Well, he said that that the that the, that the god became a nuisance. You know, it wouldn't ever come and be a nuisance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he began to have a, take a moral inventory that there was some kind of spirit, some kind of of spirit that was. Uh, that he believed that you know that was making demands on him that that everything has to be uh, 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 given to this this spirit that he now believed, and and that made him do this moral inventory where he looked at himself and what he found just uh, he abhorred what he saw a zoo of lusts in his heart. He looked at his heart. A zoo of lusts, a, a bedlam of ambitions, a, a nursery of fears, 
a harem of fondled hatreds. I mean, he actually took a moral inventory and he called himself, my name is Legion, because he had an experience of God very similar to like Moses at the burning bush. It was no longer the God of the philosophers. It became uh, an encounter with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's what made him go into his, uh, his, uh, his theistic conversion. Much more with Max McLean. Don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, back in just two minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Turek here. Just want to mention I'll be out in Lindstrom, Minnesota. Minnesota. February 25th, 26th, and 27th. Go to our website, crossexamine.org, for more on that. Hope to see you out on the road then. After that, Ohio State, uh, University of Utah, Boise State, later on in the year, LSU, a couple other colleges. Check our website for that. And our friend Max McLean here has been doing these events, actually, most reluctant convert out at college campuses as well. Max, you've been to University of Michigan, uh, a couple other places, haven't you? Yeah, I was there on Tuesday, February 15th. I had a wonderful experience at the Power Center at the University of Michigan. And and prior to that, I was at the University of Florida in Gainesville at, uh, at the Phillips Center. And uh, really wonderful people in both places. A great response to the play. Um, yeah, so... Uh, then we have our tour of, of C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, that uh, is going to be at the Phillips Center in Orlando and uh, Parker Playhouse, Fort Lauderdale, the Long Center in Austin, Texas, uh, also Minneapolis and many, many other cities through the uh, spring and summer. Where can people find information? And on you can find all about that at, uh, at fpatheater.com, fpa, Frank Paul Adam, theater, re.com. Uh, Fellowship for Performing Arts, The Great Divorce. That's, uh, you can go there. Which is a great play as well. I've seen that here in Charlotte. So, by the way, if you really want to support a strong Christian message in the arts, a message that can reach out to non-believers, go to fpatheater.com and uh, you can help support the work that Max and his entire team are doing, including these major motion pictures, which we're talking about today. The major motion picture is The Most Reluctant Convert, which you can see by going to cslewismovie.com, cslewismovie.com. Trust me, you want to see this film. It's beautifully written, beautifully acted, and it's uh, it really is the untold story. You're going to learn how Lewis became a Christian. And just before the break, uh, Max, we were talking about that Lewis kind of had almost what he might call a uh, maybe a, a burning bush experience where he didn't totally become a Christian, but he became a theist. Can you unpack that a little further for us? Right. Well, his journey was from materialism to to idealism to pantheism, which we had talked about. But that God wouldn't do anything. That was, uh, you know, that uh, there was really no obligation, as we talked about earlier. Uh, but he had an experience. Uh, at 26, he became a fellow at Oxford uh, College, Magdalen College, Oxford. Uh, and one of his, and that's how his career as a scholar and tutor began. Uh, and one of his fellow tutors was an atheist, mm-hmm. uh, hardest bitten atheist he'd ever known, who said, you know, all that mythology about dying gods, he says the, the historicity of the Gospels is surprisingly good, you know, even though he's an atheist. Mm-hmm. He says the historicity, the actual historical facts, uh, 
are quite good. He says, all that mythology about dying gods looks as if it really happened once. That shattered Lewis. There was something about the dying god myth, which he knew all about through Balder, Osiris, Dionysus, all of that, that really hit in his head. And then he had a very strange experience on a bus where uh, he said, before God closed in on me, I was offered a moment of free choice. He said, I was sitting on a bus going up Headington Hill near where he lived, thinking he was wearing a suit of armor, trying to keep something out. This is kind of an emotional, aesthetic experience, but almost a little bit, almost a nightmare experience too. Uh, he said, I could unbuckle the armor or keep it on. The, he said, the choice felt momentous. He says, I chose to unbuckle. It didn't seem possible to do the opposite. The initiative did not lie with me. And he makes this marvelous illustration. He says, if, if Hamlet and Shakespeare could ever meet, it would have to be Shakespeare's doing. He could write himself into the play. Mm. And then, you know, he, he tried to rationalize God, you know, when everybody else was calling God, God, he would call him spirit. You know, that was kind of his moment of rebellion. But he said, now what I called spirit began to show an alarming tendency to be personal. You know, it was weighing in on him. Was That's what the moral inventory I talked about earlier. And, uh, and he said, you know, it's ridiculous to call, uh, to talk about the comforts of religion. Is it a small thing to give yourself blindly to a God who on his own showing may very well be leading you to poverty, ridicule, death. He said, I knew I would never do anything uh, intolerably painful. I would be I would be reasonable. Would it be reasonable? Now, this is a man going through agony. Mm-hmm. You know, he really understands the hound of heaven bearing in on him emotionally. And, uh, and he said the dry bones of Ezekiel's valley began to shake and he said and and he heard a voice i am that i am i am the lord i am that i am i am which really reminds me of moses in the burning bush and in probably the most famous speech in the whole play is as you must you must picture me in my rooms at maudlin night after night feeling Whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet, that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term 1929, I gave in and admitted that God is God, knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected, reluctant convert in all England. It's such a great line. Um, it's a it's it's <laughs> such a great line, but then he says immediately following that it's very moving. I mean, he's given his heart to God, but not to Christ. Yes, he says, uh, "You must understand the conversion I just described was only to theism, pure and simple, not Christianity. I knew nothing of the incarnation. The God to whom I surrendered was not human." So how did he make the leap from from the God of the Jews, he said, my religion was like that of the Jews. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it was a conversation with Tolkien that uh, when he told him, he says, you know, I've, under, after considerable resistance, I've come to believe in God, but not 
Christianity. I simply do not understand how the life and death of someone else, whoever he was 2,000 years ago, could help us here and now. And Tolkien's response, and this is a bit of a paraphrase, but it's he said, whenever you meet a god sacrificing himself in a pagan story, I mean, Lewis loved uh, medieval literature, Renaissance literature. He understood mythology. He understood it at a very deep level, and he loved it. He says, whenever you meet a god sacrificing himself in a pagan story, Dionysus, Boulder, Osiris, even a fairy tale, you like it very much. And we like it, Frank. That's why we go to movies. Right. Because that's, those are mythologies. Those are fairy tales. Those are stories that are archetypal. And he says, you like it very much and are mysteriously moved by those stories. And unless you meet it, you meet those stories anywhere else except in the Gospels. Because in your mind, you've got this Sunday school association with the Gospels that, that turns you off. And whenever the story of Christ comes, you just tune out. He says, but the story of Christ is a myth, just like these other myths with one tremendous difference. It really happened. Mm. It's the, the myth that became fact. It's the myth that all other myths point to. It's the true myth. And that just kind of blew Lewis's mind because it made him go back to the scripture and read it differently. And he began to look at some of the things Jesus said, ridiculous things Jesus said. You know, when, when the high priest asked him, who are you? He mm -hmm. says, I am the anointed one of God, the son of God, the anointed one, and you will see him in the clouds of heaven to judge history, right? Yes, they sir. sent him off at once. Mm -hmm. Before Abraham was, I am. Mm -hmm. You know, a great moral teacher might say, this is the truth about the universe, therefore this is how you should live. That's what a moral teacher says. This man says, I am the truth. Mm. Uh, you know, what do you make of that? And, and so this guy's ridiculous, unless he's not. And then he makes the point that no great moral teacher ever made the claims Jesus made. Not Moses, not Buddha, not Jesus. I mean, not, not uh, Socrates, no one but Jesus made those claims. And so what do you do with that? So he, he came to the conclusion that if Jesus' statements are false, Christianity is of no importance. If true, it is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Either this man was and is the son of God, or he's a lunatic, a fraud, a liar. But all this patronizing nonsense about him being a, a great human teacher is not an option open to us, nor was it intended to be. And Lewis said, man, I didn't want that at all. Mm. You know, he said it, it was the last point was, you know, everything, it, everything was getting more concrete. You know, we like to think of, of spiritual things as becoming more ephemeral. But Lewis saw the other direction. He says, I started with the absolute to spirit, to God. And finally, I have to believe in the incarnation that God became man. And uh, in this too, he said, you know, I fought that as well. And then, of course, he had that final revelation where he said on the whips aids, he says, uh, I remember very well when, but hardly how the final statement or the final uh, phase came. I was being driven by my brother Warney to Whipsnade Zoo in the sidecar of a motorcycle one sunny morning in the autumn of 1931. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When we reached the zoo, I did. <laughs> Everything you just is, heard yeah. was by Max McLean, who played C.S. Lewis so well in the movie, 
Most Reluctant Convert, which you can see right now by going to cslewismovie.com. It is so well written and so well acted, and it's the truth about Lewis, and it can help people see the intelligence and the truth behind Christianity. The greatest mind of the 20th century when it came to Christian apologetics was Lewis, and Max, you did a wonderful job. Thanks so much for being on this show. Love being on it, Frank. Thanks for having me. We're going to do this again because I know you have some other plays coming out. Friends, go to cslewismovie.com. Get your friends to watch this. Invite them over one night. Watch the movie. You're going to—it's it's, it's going to be a blessing, and you're going to be able to uh, maybe reach some people who are not quite Christians yet through this movie. So please do that. All right, friends, I'll see you here next week. Thanks so much. By the way, check out our, our new website, hollywoodheroesbook.com. You'll see what goes on there. Back next week. God bless.